0: Okay, good afternoon and welcome to the San Francisco Planning Commission regular hearing for Thursday, November 16th, 2023 to enable public participation, TV is broadcasting and streaming this hearing live and we will receive public comment for discussion and action items on today's agenda. Each speaker will be allowed up to three minutes and when you have 30 seconds remaining, you will hear a chime indicating your time is almost up. When your allotted time is reached, I will announce that your time is up and take the next person queued to speak. We will take public comment from persons in City Hall first and then open up the remote access lines. For those persons calling in to submit their testimony, you need to call 415-655-0001 and enter access code 273 7326 and press pound twice. To comment, you must enter star 3 to raise your hand. And once you've raised your hand, you will hear a prompt stating that you have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you. When you hear that you are unmuted, that is your indication to begin speaking. For those of you joining via WebEx, you may log in via the link found on today's agenda and enter password CPC 2023 and use the raised hand icon to raise your hand. Best practices are to call from a quiet location and please mute the volume on your television or computer. For those attending in person, we ask that you line up on the screen side of the room or to your right. Please speak clearly and slowly and state your name for the record. If you care to. Finally, I'll ask that we all silence any mobile devices that may sound off during these proceedings. And at this time, I'll take call roll. Uh, Commission President Tanner? Here. Commission Vice President Moore? Here. Commissioner Braun? Here. Commissioner Diamond? Here. Commissioner Imperial? Here. Commissioner couple Here. And Commissioner Ruiz? Here. Thank you, Commissioners, for joining us at this. Early morning start.
1: Yeah, so early. Wow, ten o'clock.
0: Uh, first on your agenda is consideration of items proposed for continuance. Item one, case number twenty twenty hyphen zero zero seven eight zero six CUA, at thirteen fourteen Page Street, conditional use authorization is proposed for continuance to January fourth, twenty twenty four. Item two, case number twenty twenty two hyphen zero zero one three nine four CUA, at fifteen twenty six Powell Street, conditional use authorization is proposed for condi- continuance. To January 4th, 2024. Item three, case number 2023, 02996, CU8-807 through 809 Vermont Street. Conditional use authorization is proposed for continuance to January 25th, 2024. Further, commissioners, under your continu- consent calendar. Item eight, case number 2023, hyphen 04973, CU8, 1701, Fillmore Street a conditional use authorization had posting issues and needs to be continued to january 18th 2024 i have no other items proposed for continuance so we should take public comment members of the public this is your opportunity to address the commission on any of these items being proposed for continuance only on the matter of continuance
2: good morning commissioners first off wishing an early thanksgiving to you and your families whether you're traveling staying local or hosting Uh, To the subject matter for 1314 page, Um, while the department is looking for January 4th for the continuance date, we're requesting February 1st because the applicant is in the ballet. This is her busy season, and she's unavailable for all Thursdays in January. So with the severity of the impact of the application, we would really appreciate having the ability for her to attend in person. Thank you. What was the date, sir? February 1st.
1: February 1st.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Last call for public comment. Again, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star 3 or raise your hand via WebEx. Seeing no additional requests to speak, commissioners, public comment is closed, and your continuance calendar is now before you.
3: Commissioner Moore. Uh, approve continuance for 1 to 3 with the caveat to move 1314 page to February 1st and adding uh, Fillmore Street on today's calendar item 8 to January 18th, 2024.
4: Second.
0: Thank you, Commissioners. On that motion to continue items as proposed and 1314 uh, page to February 1st. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Diamond?
5: Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye.
0: Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore?
6: Aye.
0: I miss someone?
6: Did you miss it? Commissioner Braun? This Aye. Is <laughs> a, I was given an old,
0: old sheet. I'm like, I'm missing somebody here. Sorry, Commissioner Braun. Um, Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commission President Tanner? Aye. So move. Commissioners, that motion passes unanimously 7 to 0. And places us on your consent calendar. All matters listed here under constituted consent calendar are considered to be routine by the PLANNING COMMISSION AND MAY BE ACTED UPON BY A SINGLE ROLL CALL VOTE OF THE COMMISSION. THERE WILL BE NO SEPARATE DISCUSSION OF THESE ITEMS UNLESS A MEMBER OF THE COMMISSION, THE PUBLIC OR STAFF SO REQUESTS IN WHICH EVENT THE MATTER SHALL BE REMOVED FROM THE CONSENT CALENDAR AND CONSIDERED AS A SEPARATE ITEM AT THIS OR A FUTURE HEARING. ITEM 4, CASE NUMBER 2023-0091868, PCA, EXCEPTIONS AND EXTENSIONS FOR EXISTING USES, PLANNING CODE AMENDMENT, uh, this is just for the initiation. Item 5, case number 2022-006580CUA at 1155 Pine Street, unit number 1, conditional use authorization. Item 6, case number 2022-005955CUA at 201 Sansom Street, unit number 1005, conditional use, conditional use authorization. Item 7, case number 2019-019901PRJ at 1068. Florida Street, item 8, has been continued. Mm. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to request that any of these items be pulled off of consent. Again, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star 3 or raise your hand via WebEx. Seeing no request to speak, commissioners, public comment on your consent calendar is closed, and it is now before you.
7: Commissioner Diamond? Move to approve all items on
0: the consent calendar. Second. Thank you, commissioners. On that motion, commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz. Aye. Commissioner Diamond. Aye. Commissioner Imperial. Aye. Commissioner Coppel. Aye. Commissioner Moore. Aye. And Commission President Tanner. Aye. So move commissioners that motion passes unanimously 7 to 0 placing us under commission
8: matters for
0: item 9, the land acknowledgement.
8: Commissioner Ruiz is going to share the land acknowledgement today. The commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Rami Shaloni who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramita Shaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland, We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Rami community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples.
1: Thank you, Commissioner Reese.
0: Thank you. Item 10, Commission comments and questions.
5: Uh,
1: Any comments or questions? Commissioner Imperial?
5: I just want to mention that last night I attended the, the, I think it's the fourth open house of the um, housing element in the is it officially called housing but it's an open house and i think every one of us were invited and it was good for me to see um the attendance of the of the residents around the area and also the staff itself answering the questions from the public um you know it was a good event i thought um and you know so i i would just would like to applaud the um the team that coordinated that and for the staff being there and really engaging with the residents and the public
1: Great, thank you. It reminds me, I did attend the open house last week, um, the third one, and again, great event, um, really great effort by staff and just really thoughtful um, input from the public. So, looking forward to hearing more about that in future hearings. Any other comments or questions from commissioners? Okay, thank you.
0: Very good, commissioners. Item 11, remote public comment. So, um, as you've heard, the Board of Supervisors adopted a resolution ceasing their remote public comment practice. Uh, We have now received direction from the mayor's office to follow the Board of Supervisors' lead. Um, There was no explanation provided from the mayor's office. Um, All I can think of is to create consistency throughout all commissions and boards in San Francisco um, and to encourage more foot traffic around Civic Center. Um, I do want to read into the record the instructions I did receive from the mayor's office. It states, in part, and I'm going to read um, verbatim, the instructions from the mayor's office are that all commissions shall also adopt the Board of Supervisors' new rule. In other words, no remote public comment except when necessary to accommodate a disability. This also means that all presenters from departments will need to attend commission meetings in person. I mean, there's more information, but I think that's the relevant portions of the instructions from the mayor's office. Um, I did poll other commissions to see what they're doing, and it seems that um, at least the ones I'm aware of are going to follow suit um, and cease public comment, with exception to reasonable accommodations received in advance for those who are disabled. Um, Yesterday, at the Historic Preservation Commission, they um, hesitated to um, uh, adopt the mayor's directive, um, and they wanted to see and find out how other commissions responded um, and so they continued uh, their decision to january um, 17th uh, because their january first january hearing is going is expected to be cancelled um, after receiving this direction from the mayor's office i instructed our notification staff to remove the remote public comment language from our notifications Um, And so the earliest you could start, if you chose to, would be in your December hearings. Uh, But with that, we should probably take public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on uh, this item. If you're in the chamber, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star 3 or raise your hand via Webex.
9: Hi. Good morning, Georgia Shudish. Uh, I sent you a note about it. But I have to tell you, since I knew this was going to be on the calendar last week, I have that song in my head. I, Stevie Wonder, I just called to say I love you. You know, I just, I'm just, sorry, I just couldn't help it. So, you know, it's a great song. Uh, but anyway, but I, when I think about that though, seriously, people do participate in this for wherever, they, wherever their reason is, because they love San Francisco, whether they have this perspective, that perspective or that perspective. That's why they, they come here. So I think that the good thing to come out of COVID was the remote hearing. And as I said in my note to you all, um, you got a a very many important items coming up in the next couple of months. like the zoning, the rezoning, the Stonestown, the budget. So, um, I just think that if, you know, I I know the mayor told, said you should all do this, um, but I think that there should be an exception for the important issues that come before this commission and the HPC. I was glad that they decided to wait. I think they're looking to you for guidance, um, but maybe I'm just assuming that. But uh, it seems like it'd be prudent to wait at least till the spring. And then plus, we've got the whole variant RSV issue in the wastewater and all that. So um, that's it. And I just want to say one thing about the staff. You know, I know sometimes. Uh, you have a lot of staff, and you have questions. I don't think everybody should have to sit here. They're, down, they're not at home. They're down there at 49 South Van Ness. They're in their office. They're doing work. Seems like it'd be more efficient for you know the third or fourth staff person, or you may have a question of, to be in their office doing work. So they're here. They're not you know home in their jammies. So I think that you ought to. Uh, I hope that you will really consider at least delaying it to next spring when um, after you've gotten through, we've gotten through the winter and we've gotten through all these important items that we'll all be, excuse me, that we'll all be talking about. Thank you very much.
0: Seeing no and no other members in the, of the public in the chambers coming forward, let's go to our remote caller.
10: Uh, this is Sue Hester. I am asking the commission to delay the hearing on this and make it public that this is going on. The number of people who know this is a hearing that's going on right now at 10 o'clock in the morning, which is the time you don't normally meet, is very minuscule. The first notice that we had at all was last Thursday when Mr. Ayonan mentioned it in passing at the Planning Commission. And the agenda came out at 5.05 in the afternoon last Thursday. And it had this sign on it. No one knows this is going on. I sent you all a email asking for you to stay this decision and publicize it. And insist on a staff report that's real. You don't have the language of what is on there uh... what is what you're going to be voting on I, We scheduled this for the hearing in january after christmas and with we demand that you have a staff report and demand the staff report has in writing the direction from the mayor and the specific language that the commission is being asked to do and let there be a little discussion in the public the Board of Supervisors who had a bit of a concern because they had uh, inappropriate language, to put it mildly, used it on the comment period, and there was press coverage, Board of Supervisors discussion, et cetera, before they changed their, uh, their rule on public comment. You have no such history. No one has, as far as I can tell, really caused a stir by using inappropriate language in the public comment, but you have a need to have public comment. You need to have public input. I I have called in a few times, and I know I'm not the best speaker on the phone, but please continue this to allow public discussion about what you're planning on doing, because it's good going to be very abrupt, abrupt in the nature of one week and no discussion. Commissioners haven't had a discussion on this at all. And I think we are in time to Thank you.
1: Are there additional remote callers
11: planning commissioners? This is Lorraine. Petty. Um, I'm calling to urge you to please continue. Remote public comment. Um, for now and for always. I mean, it really has become. Um, it's a very successful program. We've had no problems. It's, um, a valuable and very critical extension of public participation Um, for many unable to participate uh, before the COVID, um, those for whom it's a great hardship to attend meetings in person, seniors, workers, families, low income folks, and many in the BIPOC community. The success of this program is hard to, hard to overestimate. Um, Remote callers, we've all seen this, remote callers make significant contributions to the Commissioner's understanding of current conditions, potential effects of proposed action, potential collateral damages, facts that were hidden, and unanticipated consequences. To to eliminate remote public comment now would defeat true public scrutiny. Now, elimination. It would appear that it would it would thwart um, hateful speech people, but it really it doesn't. Um, it would indeed reward them. So. Um, it would be a gift to those who want to deregulate all of our planning code and all and and bad actors too. Um, it would be it would just be a triumph for the haters who who really who their aim is to spread disruption and exclusion. Um, so please do not eliminate remote comment at, at your meetings. Um, If you do do it, at least don't be, don't let it be because, just because remote comment would inconvenience you or because the mayor told you to do it. So please continue it. Don't force seniors and others to declare a disability in order to call in, it would be a punishment to make them call in, declare themselves as disabled. It's not a solution, it would be a punishment. And if you eliminate remote call-in, please realize that what the supervisors did in eliminating remote call-in, they also eliminated listening to the meetings by telephone. This is a very crucial um, accessibility issue. Thank you, Madam. That is your time.
0: Okay. Last call for public comment on this item. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star 3 or raise your hand via Webex. Seeing no additional requests to speak, Commissioner's public comment is closed. I will simply add that um, the Board of Supervisors' uh, resolution that they adopted was attached to the agenda uh, for, for specifically what you are being requested to do. Also, in consultation with the City Attorney's Office, um, it was determined... Um, if you recall, in March was the last time, I believe, we adopted a resolution to um, uh, provide for emergency remote hearings due to the whole, the, the COVID thing, we were adopting these resolutions on a monthly basis. Um, and so at that time, it was simply put forward to, to this body whether or not you wanted to continue remote public comment. And um, there was consensus by this board to do so, but there was no resolution adopted. Um, it was simply direction to me your staff to continue the practice and so we felt that there was not necessarily a resolution that needed to be adopted in this particular instance a vote probably would be would would be good but the city attorney's office did state that simple direction from the chair would be sufficient in order to to cease remote public comment with that um, i'll leave it to you all to deliberate
1: well just on that note procedurally i would agree with uh, the secretary in terms of if we do decide to Follow this direction. I would appreciate us voting on it just to formalize it and have that be um, part of our, our direction uh, that we take together. Um, uh, or at least, uh, you know, at the major- will the majority of the commission. Um, I will just make a few comments and then call on Commissioner Moore. Uh, we had the chance to talk about this a bit in our officers meeting this week. Um, you know, I... I I was a little uh, disappointed to see the direction come out to um, to stop remote public comment, uh, certainly understanding, and even speaking with colleagues of mine who work in other cities who've also faced some of the kind of uptick in the Zoom bombing that's been very uh, reprehensible and certainly, um, the hate speech all of that can not only just it really disrupts is it maybe the polite way to say it The the public proceedings for everybody who's participating and so um i can certainly see that being a big challenge um, and leading to this um this direction however we have been not going to be very fortunate that we have not been subject to that um, throughout our many 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 public hearings uh we've had pretty good uh participation and behavior by our remote callers. They've, you know, mostly been on topic um, and certainly not any hate speech. Um, That said, I do wonder if there's some potential to at least send some more inquiry to the mayor's office or to other boards and commissions to ask about maybe some flexibility to allow, whether it's a certain amount of time, like per item we can have up to 20 minutes of remote callers or some other way to mitigate um, the length of time, which if the case that we did end up with, you know, hate speech or kind of Zoom bombing that we maybe couldn't stop, uh, we might at least be able to have a limited amount of it occur um, per item per hearing. Um, Again, I do understand wanting to create... Consistency because if you remember the public and one commission has remote public comment and the other commission doesn't, that could be confusing, right? You think you don't need to come to City Hall, but you may need to come to City Hall um, to give your comments for one commission versus another commission. So, certainly can understand that as a rationale um, and the Zoom bombing as well. But I know it's been working very well for us and has enabled um, greater participation in our hearings. That said, I'm going to call on Commissioner Moore and then I see Braun, Commissioner Braun and Commissioner
0: Imperial. If, if I may interject to the Sir. chair, um, that Option is already afforded to the commission as as far as establishing specific time limits for items. It would have to be the same time time limit for each item.
1: Yeah, I understand that. I'm more wanting to be collaborative with the mayor and, and, you know, to understand, you know, if there is any kind of room uh, between that uh, and what their thoughts are. So we just haven't had a lot of dialogue. We just got the directive. We're discussing it today, and I just hope we can continue to discuss it. Commissioner Moore?
3: Let me first appreciate what you said. I support your analysis of the success of public comment in this particular forum. Let me also thank uh, the public who made some very, very thought-provoking comments relative to the specific nature of calling the Planning Commission. What we do is extremely public. What we do really affects people in the trenches. And so we are in the trenches, so to speak. And it's for that reason that for many years, I've always said the best planning is really done With the strength of public comment and i think public comment has been enhanced and has basically grown and has solidified to be important through the last three years where despite not being able to be here people still were effectively communicating extremely important uh, information that helped us to have more mature comment and basically also often shape uh, what the commission and the department do in order to bring things more in line with what needs to be done. That said, I'm actually very encouraged by uh, historic preservation, uh, who I also consider to be a very important part in the physical discussion about what we do to ask for a little more time to think about it. This comes to us very quickly. It comes actually on a day where we're not even in our normal cycle of how we do things, starting at one o'clock and then everybody who normally just listens can hear us. So I would be very much in support of letting this sit for a little while, actually have people potentially do more public comment on it once they're aware of what we're discussing today, uh, and I think that would be the nature of my uh, contribution today. Thank you. Commissioner Brown? Uh,
12: yes, I actually, I guess I have a question first, so... Uh, at, at any time, I and mean, with proper notice at any time, this body could choose to change its rules around allowing remote comment, is that right?
0: Uh, yes, I mean, okay. up a, because we've included it in our notices, I think the most appropriate earliest date would be December, since we don't, we don't, we're no longer including that in our notification.
12: Okay. And then if we were to start receiving nasty public comments, abusive public comments, um, you know, I know that when it comes to a specific item, of course, if they're off topic, they can be basically cut off if they're not relevant. Um, Is the main concern, is the main issue that if they come in during general public comment, there's no ability to to cease that without, I mean, we don't have a
0: written policy about this. So I'm just wondering what happens then. I will defer to the city attorney's office, but I mean, we are not allowed to stop anyone from, criticizing this body or um, uh, the department or staff or for whatever reason. I mean, that's their right to do so. Um, but I mean, completely inappropriate remarks related to one's ethnicity or or, or culture or religion, I think mm-hmm. uh, uh, would be deemed inappropriate. And I would uh, be more than happy to mute them. But I'll let the city attorney uh, chime in on
13: that. Thank you for that. Uh, Yes, the the line is difficult to draw, but there is a point at which um, difficult language becomes abusive language and violates city policies. And therefore a speaker can be cut off or muted. Um, I think that was part of the issue that the board was trying to address was where to draw that line. Um, And I think the point of the mayor's policy is both to avoid having to draw that line, but also to encourage people to return to City Hall.
12: Thank you for that. Um, yeah, I certainly understand that if we were to start having trouble with remote public comment, we might have to rethink this, uh, whatever our decision, well, if our decision is still to continue to allow it. Uh, so my thoughts on this are, um, you know, I think we're, we're really losing a lot of the things that we learned and capabilities that we grew during the pandemic. That have really expanded opportunities for people to participate in public processes and i think losing remote public comment creates a lot of concerns i for me i I take to heart the other um, aspects of this that have already been stated um but i just think this remote public comment really broadens participation and i think those public public commenters have already raised uh, a lot of that with seniors or people who are ill and don't want to get the rest of us sick or have travel obligations or family obligations I also take to heart the the uh, point raised by Ms. students actually about um, uh, saving staff time as well. And just as my like little personal anecdote about this, you know, I'm I work for cities in my day job and I, this past Tuesday, I was at a in-person um, sit, uh, planning commission hearing that went until 12. Well, I left at 1230 a.m. Actually, they're still going at 1:30, And, you know, it was actually quite far away. Uh, and I think, you know, it's it was sort of a a use of that city's time and in this case their expense um where i you know spoke once and could have done that remotely and i know we'd be losing that capability as well with this directive so i I think for a lot of reasons i'm very strongly in favor of continuing to allow uh, remote public comment and rethinking if something goes awry in the future at the very least i would certainly be supportive of continuing the decision on this
1: thank you commissioner brown commissioner Imperial
5: um i'm appreciative of what president tanner and as well as vice president moore and commissioner braun in all of their comments i think we um you know i do value the the accessibility um of the public comment in you know in other sense in the most sense we're we're a public service tool um and this is where um the public you know, we'll be able to know what's going on in the city and be able to comment. So I think that's one good thing. And even though, you know, personally we do, or I do sometimes, um, you know, the relational sometimes for me, I, I do encourage in person just because for me, I, Personally, see you know the the emotions, the 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 faith, you know, and also like who are the people talking. Like I do, actually appreciate the in person when people come in. On the other hand, um, you know I do also appreciate the in, the remote callers who are especially who are seniors, um, probably working, um, and of course many of the working class BIPOC community um, will not be able to come during our during our hours and perhaps we'll only need 10 to 15 minutes of their time or three minutes of their time to comment and i think that's very very important as well and even though it drains my energy to just listen in the public comment in the remote comment and and without hearing them personally um, i think in the purpose of public service is really important Um, in terms of the hate language i think we do need to craft some um, same language. And this is when I would um, support a continuance because it would give the staff some direction or at least we do have an idea on how to control or mitigate that kind of situation um, so that, you know, um, Secretary Jonas, even though you know he, I think he's doing a good job, but it doesn't leave him you know, um, directionless, or it felt like he, everyone's blaming him if someone muted him. So it gives him some credibility, right? Um, so I think um, we need to set some rules or protocols that if there is going to be remote hearing or there's continuing or um, doing a remote hearing if we're saying a minimum amount of time for remote hearing for 15 minutes, then we should give um, we should have that protocol when it comes to the hate language. Um, so I would support for a continuance so that they, um, we have that kind of staff report in terms of how we proceed with the remote hearing, even if it's just fifteen to twenty minutes time. That I would support from the President Tanner's um, you know comment.
1: Great, thank you all for your comments. So what I might suggest we do is continue this discussion for a little bit just to try to see if we can uh, just even learn more from the mayor's office and even you know, from others, just what the rationale and the understanding, because there may be something persuasive um, that we want and we don't want to be, I think, out of step with other commissions, um, but certainly just want to express to them our desire to, sounds like mostly keep it if we can or have some um, uh, portion of remote public comment kept. Um, so it seems like we would just continue this maybe to our future hearing. I know, Commissioner Moore, you won't be at our next hearing, so we could continue it to the first hearing in December if you would like to be present for the discussion of this I, topic. I would, actually, okay. Yeah. Commissioner Moore, do you want to share anything uh, else?
3: I wanted to make one additional comment. Uh, since we do not know exactly what is behind the mayor's motivation to extend it broadly to all commissions, from my perspective, uh, it is not constraints reduction. Uh, we sit here and, uh, while it is a little bit harder sometimes to follow uh, a lengthy uh, uh, online comment from somebody, a remote comment from somebody, overall, it does not make our work more efficient. It actually informs our work better uh, having it.
1: Yeah, certainly. Commissioner Diamond?
7: Mm-hmm. I think if we're going to do a continuance, we should be very specific about what we want to accomplish during the time period of the continuance. Um, You expressed some of those um, information uh, desires, Commissioner Tanner. Uh, I am interested in knowing from the city attorney's office, if we continue this, if, if we decide... At the end of the continuance to allow it to keep going i want to know what the line drawing is so that if you know because we haven't yet experienced that kind of call it's kind of hard to think about this in the abstract um but i agree with commissioner imperial that i want to know in advance what the rules are for line drawing so it's really clear and um that that would be a very important consideration to my vote on this
1: okay so it sounds like some things we might do in the intervening time between now and the hearing if this item is uh, continued for a later discussion would be um, some dialogue with the mayor's office um, to understand and, and maybe even the board of supervisors I mean, they passed the resolution first just to understand some of the rationale and maybe things we aren't considering um, to perhaps put some thought into, you know, if we were to have some, uh, where is that line where it becomes abusive speech, I think is really the question, right? When does the speech public commenters speech become abusive such that we could uh, curtail that? Um, is there anything else that we're wanting to consider? Those are the main two two things. And then also, it does allow for some of our remote commenters um, commented wanting more time for others to weigh in, and certainly this would give them another opportunity to um, to participate and to give public comment on this matter. Do we need a formal vote to continue this to December the December meeting?
0: I, I think that would be appropriate.
1: Okay. So, does someone want to make a motion to continue this discussion to
5: December seventh, Commissioner Imperial? Move to continue to December 7th. Second.
0: Thank you, commissioners, on that motion to continue this matter to December 7th. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Copple. Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner? Aye. So move, commissioners, That motion passes unanimously 7 to 0. Uh, and I will certainly send your thoughts to the mayor's office. We appreciate that. Department Matters Item 12, Director's Announcements.
4: Good morning, Commissioners. Just a quick update, because which I mentioned last week during Commissioner or during director's comments, our response on the 30-day items to HCD, this is related to the policy and practices review, are due the day after the Thanksgiving break, so so a week from Monday. We will be sending them a response next week and on the items that are, that have a 30-day timeline. As I mentioned, most of those relate to the constraints ordinance that's at the Board of Supervisors and will be at committee that Monday as well. So we'll send you a copy of that. We also then have a follow-up with the hearing on December 7th where we're talking about uh, kind of the entire suite of, of changes to state law that happened this last legislative session as well as kind of a, a broader look at, at the policy and practices review in our response.
1: I did get to speak with uh, Director Hillis and then also with the mayor's office about the um, just the directors from HCD. I felt very confident that they are on top of handling it and responding on behalf of the city with a unified voice, so I felt very comfortable um, waiting until later on to have the, our discussion, um, but do know that it is being the, the the direction or the policy and practice review is being responded to, and I thought um, continuing to have a collegial relationship with HCD um, and a collaborative one so I felt very uh, confident with that and thank you Director Hillis and to Ms. Lexine and uh, the Mayor's Office as well.
0: There's nothing further Commissioners. Um, item 13 review of past events at the Board of Supervisors, uh, Board of Appeals and the Historic Preservation Commission
14: uh good morning commissioners aaron starr manager of legislative affairs um this week the land use committee considered the non-profits art educational special use district which was introduced by supervisor peskin the proposed ordinance would create a non-profit arts educational sud at 800 chestnut the former site of the art institute Um, the sud would allow a non-profit arts educational um, in INSTITUTIONAL USE, uh, WHICH FOR THE PURPOSES OF THE SUD WOULD BE DEFINED AS A PUBLIC OR PRIVATE INSTITUTIONAL USE OPERATING AS A POST-SECONDARY EDUCATIONAL INSTITUTION AND IS NOT REQUIRED TO BE CERTIFIED BY THE WESTERN Associati- ASSOCIATION OF SCHOOLS AND COLLEGES. Um, ALL OTHER PROVISIONS OF THE rh THREE DISTRICT WOULD APPLY, EXCEPT THAT THE NONPROFIT ARTS EDUCATIONAL INSTITUTIONAL USE IN THE SUD WOULD NOT BE ab- OBLIGATED TO COMPLY WITH THE institu- INSTITUTIONAL MASTER PLAN. Uh, the Historic Preservation Commission and the Planning Commission both heard this item last week and both recommended approval. At the hearing, there were no public commenters or committee discussion. Um, the item was then moved with a positive recommendation as a committee report. Then at the full board, um, the board passed the nonprofit Arts Educational SUD on first read. And That's all I have for you for the report.
2: Good morning, Uh, President Tanner, Commissioners Corey Teague, Zoning Administrator. The Board of Appeals did meet last night, but they did not take up any items of
12: interest to the commission. Thank
0: you. Okay. Well, the Historic Preservation Commission met yesterday um, and they adopted recommendations for approval for several legacy business registry applications. Uh, The first being Elixir, the second oldest watering hole in this town of Holes and um, Il Palayo, I'm butch- butchering this, Il Palayo, um, a long-standing um, restaurant on Columbus Avenue, and Heroes Club on Clement Street, as well as Friends of Scrap on Tolan Street, um, which is um, a great little establishment. Um, And as previously stated, they they also continued their decision on remote public comment uh, to gain more input. With that, commissioners, we can move on to... General public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the Commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the Commission, except agenda items. With respect to agenda items, your opportunity to address the Commission will be afforded when the item is reached in the meeting. Each member of the public may address the Commission for up to three minutes. When the number of speakers exceed the 15 minute limit, general public comment may be moved to the end of the agenda.
9: Good morning again. Uh, For the past few weeks, I have been requesting codifying the residential flat policy and creating objective design standards to preserve flats in their original configuration of rooms defined by the hallway and in their original location within the structure. It is important to preserve flats, not only for tenants that may occupy them and could be removed even under the flat policy, but also for any future tenant's occupants seeking housing that satisfies the housing needs outlined in the flat policy findings in Resolution 20024, approved October 12, 2017. The flat policy recognizes the importance of this typology of housing in San Francisco for middle-income families. There are flats throughout the city. Victorians, Edwardians, some built in the decades before World War II in various styles, and then many built in the post-war period, often throughout the Sunset District. Flats are located in both the high resource areas, like the Richmond or the Marina, as the example on Majorca Way, what I sent to you in the email, which was approved with several permits and completed prior to Section 317 and was never before the commission and was for sale all last spring. As the price dropped, many flats are in the priority equity geographies, like in the mission. Some of these flats have been altered out of existence because the demo calcs have never been adjusted and high end, high price mega mansions are created, as seen in Noe Valley in the past decade. Some of these flats took advantage of Section 317B7. The flat policy is squishy and needs more teeth. Two recent projects that I mentioned in my November 8th letter only came to attention because DRs were filed but never reached the commission because the DRs were settled. The proposed floor plan of one was in the PDF that I sent yesterday evening. This floor plan that I sent yesterday evening shows that the policy can be complied with even by moving the flat to the ground level next to the garage and creating the mega unit above just because it manages to have front and rear egress. This is really not that much different than the sham units that were in front of the Commission prior to the flat policy under Section 317B7. So please codify the policy with objective standards, objective design standards that preserve this typology of housing as written in the emails, and as I said today, that to when you enact the housing element. And here's what I just said, copy of statement for each of you, and here's 150 words for the minutes. Thanks very much.
0: Last call for general public comment. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star 3 or raise your hand via WebEx. Seeing no additional requests to speak, general public comment is closed, and we can move on to your regular calendar. Um, And just for members of the public and through the chair, we received a request from the supervisor's office to move item 15 to the end. So we'll be taking up item 16 and 17 out of order. Um, item 14, case number 2023-005549 PCA, eliminating public art requirement for 100% affordable housing projects. This is a planning code amendment.
14: Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. Aaron Starr, Manager of Legislative Affairs, filling in for Audrey Merloni. Um, the ordinance before you would amend the planning code to eliminate the public art requirement for 100% affordable housing projects and provide for the relocation or removal of existing artwork at such uh, projects subject to certain conditions. Um, I'd like to pause my remarks and allow Madison Tam from Supervisor Dorsey's office to speak on this ordinance first, and then I'll
0: return. Uh,
8: Can I just. I'm, I'm
0: sorry, before you. Before you begin, uh, I I forgot that Commissioner Ruiz needs to request a uh, a recusal.
8: Sorry, um, my employer, CCDC, is a member of Chuchu who has a position on this item, and I've been advised to recuse myself.
1: Thank you. Is there a motion to recuse Commissioner Ruiz? Commissioner Diamond?
7: Move to recuse Commissioner Ruiz on this item. Second. Second.
0: Thank you, commissioners. On that motion to recuse, Commissioner Ruiz, Commissioner Braun, aye, Commissioner Ruiz, aye, Commissioner Diamond, aye, Commissioner Imperial, aye, Commissioner Koppel,
15: excuse
0: me, Commissioner Moore, and Commission President Tanner, aye. So move, commissioners, that motion passes unanimously six to zero. Go ahead. Great, thank you.
16: Good morning President Tanner and Commissioners. I'm excited to be before you today to discuss this legislation. This legislation amends section 429 of the Planning Code, Artworks, options to meet public art fee requirement to make two changes to this uh, section's applicability to 100% affordable housing. First, it provides for relocation and removal of art subject to certain conditions and second, waives the requirement for public art in these projects. The first component of this legislation is the result of a long, frustrating example of a well-intentioned requirement having unintentional regressive impacts. A BMR condo building in District 6 at 1400 Mission has an on-site mural that fulfills the public art requirement. The beautiful mural has been covered in graffiti for years, since before Supervisor Dorsey was on the Board of Supervisors. And over the years, the building has continued to receive notices of violation from the Department of Public Works for the visible graffiti. When the property management attempted to address this issue, They learned that they could not solve their graffiti problem without creating a planning department issue as well. Our offices worked with the building management and HOA and attended several meetings with the residents. The residents of this building are proud to be homeowners and are incredibly grateful for the opportunity to own an affordable unit, and they just want the graffiti gone. They don't want their building to be a source of blight and invite more vandalism to their block. Under existing code, they could remove the graffiti, but they would be required to replace the art of an equal or greater value. This is a below market rate HOA that is not in a position to raise its dues for a non-essential amenity. A policy designed to give people of all income income levels access to art has shown to be regressive in this example. The second component of this legislation seeks to prevent future situations like 1400 mission and lower the cost of affordable housing for developers. We have have ambitious affordable housing goals in this RENA cycle and reducing costs to building these desperately needed units and making progress on those goals is crucial. Waiving this requirement is one of the policy goals in the housing element, goal 8.6.5, and this was also called out in HCD's policy and practice review, action 4.2. Affordable housing dollars are limited, and San Francisco should be doing everything it can to make itself more competitive for the limited sources of state financing. As a part of meeting our ambitious goals, we are going to have to make some policy trade-offs. While Supervisor Dorsey is in full agreement that all people should have access to art, we recognize that there are other considerations. The first is that this requirement is for public art, which does not necessarily mean the art is visible to the residents of the building. At 1400 mission, residents would only be able to see the art if entering from a specific side of the building. We're putting the burden of improving the public realm on the backs of affordable housing developers and affordable housing residents whose HOA fees may have to increase to maintain this art. Second, these are not free dollars. These are dollars that could be spent on additional units, on-site services, and better on-site security, a concern that we hear about from constituents far more than access to art. There are also requirements for non-residential buildings to provide art, either on-site or through a contribution to the Public Arts Trust Fund. And we are not proposing any changes to market-rate housing or these non-residential projects requirement to fulfill uh, the art on-site or to fee out. There will still be plenty of opportunities for public art. And finally, this legislation is simply removing the requirement for on-site art. A developer could still choose to provide on-site art of any value if they believe that would make their project better or it's a part of their community negotiations. There are a number of recommendations in the staff report that I'm happy to speak to after you hear them, so now I'll pass it back to Mr. Starr.
14: Remember masks? <clears throat> uh, so uh, thank you, Madison. The department recommends that the commission approve with modifications the proposed ordinance. Uh, The department supports the proposed ordinance because it would reduce the cost to develop and maintain affordable housing and it effectuates implementing action 8.6.5 of the housing element. Uh, Like many other cities, San Francisco is facing a substantial increase in affordable housing uh, unit targets without proportional increase in federal or state funding. Removing unnecessary costs for affordable housing developers is one way that the city can help funds for affordable housing go further. The department has also identified uh, refinements to the proposed ordinance and additional ways to reduce the cost of affordable housing that is funded by the city. Um, We've been working collaboratively with the supervisor's office um, on these amendments and believe they are in support of most of them. Um, So the department proposed recommendations are as follows. Uh, First is amend the administrative code section 3.19 to exempt 100% affordable housing projects, including 100% affordable um, residential buildings built to satisfy affordable housing requirements of market rate projects from the 2% for art requirement. Um, this second one, which is consider allowing 100% affordable housing projects to apply to utilize funds from the public artwork trust fund to be used to purchase and install on-site public works. Um, after some uh, feedback from the community and for the discussions with the supervisor's office, the department is uh, kind of rescinding that recommendation number two. Um, So just please note that. Um, And then number three, create new and clarifying existing ZA hearing criteria for consideration as outlined in the staff report. Add clarifying language to remove relocation, to the removal relocation and alteration provisions in subsection D to encourage that 100% affordable housing projects proposing a minor relocation or alteration of the artwork are offered the same, less onerous process currently available to market rate projects. And lastly uh, there are some technical amendments that were outlined in the staff report uh, that concludes my presentation i'm happy to take any uh, questions from you thank you With thank that- you
10: did did
1: the supervisor's office want to address the amendments i know you noted that you wanted to speak to those
16: yes so uh, we are supportive of recommendations three four and five And on recommendation uh, one, amending the administrative code section, Uh, we are in support of that recommendation. We're still awaiting language from the city attorney's office um, about what that would look like, but amending this would basically allow the full intent of this legislation to be carried out. And um, on recommendation two, for allowing affordable projects to apply for public art trust uh, fund dollars to build uh, or to provide on-site art, Uh, After discussions, we decided that we would not be in support of this recommendation because the intent of the Public Art Trust Fund is for beautification of downtown, so our downtown office buildings and our residential buildings downtown are not just gray, boring, run-of-the-mill buildings. Uh, And the Public Arts Trust Fund, the way it's written in the code, is that it has to be used for uh, projects within a half mile of the C3 or within a half mile of the project that paid into the fund. So we still believe that those dollars should be used in that area where it's uh, intended to be as written into the code and this brings up further work that our office is really interested in collaborating with the planning department and community organizations on around equity for how those dollars are used district six has the largest share of the um, civic art collection with really none of this art being uh, significant to our many cultural districts that we have in District 6. I often say that District 6 is the cultural district district because we have three of them. Mm -hmm. And we'd like to see more of these dollars be uh, put toward community uh, projects that are uh, and culturally relevant art projects. So we will, for that reason, not be taking that recommendation. Thank
1: you very much. I see Commissioner Diamond wanted to share something.
7: Um, just before you open it to the public, can, I'd like to get more clarification on this recommendation, too. Are there other funds that are available for 100% affordable projects to apply to, or was this the only one and you've decided that uh, it's not appropriate for this purpose?
16: So if uh, if an affordable housing project is in that perimeter, it already could apply for the funds. There's not any existing funding sources that we're aware of, and um, commissioners, you all received a, a letter from Choo Choo via email. And uh, our office uh, would like to commit to working with them on trying to find alternative sources of funding while we uh, work on these other amendments and before we get this to the Land Use Committee. Thank you, that's very helpful. Great, thank you.
0: With that, we should open up public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on this item. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand via Webex.
13: Good morning members of the commission, Charlie Shamus with the Council of Community Housing Organizations. We would like to express our concerns regarding this proposed legislation and we're um, pleased to hear that the supervisor and we hope the commission, the planning department are are able to create time to uh, create additional community engagement to craft this legislation. FURTHER COLLABORATION WITH BOTH AFFORDABLE HOUSING ORGANIZATIONS AND COMMUNITY-BASED ORGANIZATIONS WILL ENABLE US TO CREATE A SOLUTION THAT DOESN'T DEPEND ON MAKING THE FALSE TRADE-OFF OF AFFORDABLE HOUSING VERSUS PUBLIC ART FOR LOW-INCOME RESIDENTS. PUBLIC ART HAS INCREDIBLE VALUE IN AFFORDABLE HOUSING PROJECTS. IT CONTRIBUTES TO COMMUNITY PLACEMAKING, CULTURAL EXPRESSION, CULTURAL STABILIZATION, PUBLIC ART uh, THAT HAS BEEN INCORPORATED IN AFFORDABLE HOUSING PROJECTS IS OFTEN CLOSELY TIED TO THE COMMUNITY ORGANIZING EFFORTS THAT ARE NEEDED IN ORDER TO DEVELOP THOSE SITES AND IT REFLECTS ONGOING COMMUNITY INVESTMENT AND OWNERSHIP OF THOSE SITES. LEGISLATION THAT REMOVES THE ABILITY OF LOW-INCOME RESIDENTS AND COMMUNITY MEMBERS TO CREATE, ENJOY AND PARTICIPATE IN PUBLIC ARTWORK ERODES RACIAL AND SOCIAL EQUITY. Many of our CHU member organizations, including, for example, MEDA, Chinatown Community Development Center, Episcopal Community Services have expressed the value the public art plays in furthering their mission for comprehensive community development. We ask the Commission to not vote on this legislation until we're able to address the outstanding issues of a dedicated source of funding and further engage nonprofit developers and community-based organizations using a lens of racial and social equity. Designating an alternative dedicated source of funding for public art would allow the city's investments towards affordable housing to keep with their designated purpose. And we ask that the supervisor's office and the planning department work directly with community stakeholders to find a solution to the issues of cost presented by this legislation. Thank you.
17: Hello, Commissioners. David Wu with Somo Filipinas. Um We shared Chu Chu's concerns regarding this legislation, specifically the importance of equity and access to art, especially for low-income community members. As we understand. Um, in, IN THE INITIAL LEGISLATION uh, THIS ONLY APPLIED TO THE C-3 AFFORDABLE HOUSING PROJECTS AND NOW THE INTENTION IS TO EXPAND IT CITYWIDE BY ALSO am- AMENDING THE ADMIN CODE WHICH WOULD IMPACT A MUCH GREATER NUMBER OF PEOPLE NOT JUST SOMA RESIDENTS. WE PREVIOUSLY HAD A PRODUCTIVE MEETING WITH SUPERVISOR DORSEY'S OFFICE JOINTLY WITH CHU CHU TO DISCUSS OUR CONCERNS AND TO EXPLORE POSSIBLE SOURCES OF FUNDING. But um, since then we have not been able to circle back before today. So our request would be for more time to allow for dialogue with impacted stakeholders such as affordable housing developers low income residents and cultural districts and communities especially if the scope of the proposed legislation now will be citywide. IF THIS WERE TO MOVE FORWARD, ONE PROJECT THAT WOULD BE IMPACTED WOULD BE 967 MISSION STREET, WHICH IS A FUTURE SITE OF HUNDRED PERCENT AFFORDABLE SENIOR HOUSING. MANY RESIDENTS AND COMMUNITY GROUPS LIKE SOMA FILIPINAS HAVE PARTICIPATED IN MEETINGS WITH THE DEVELOPERS TO GIVE INPUT ON THE DESIGN AMENITIES AND PUBLIC ART POSSIBILITIES OF THE NEW DEVELOPMENT, um, WHICH FOLKS ARE VERY EXCITED ABOUT. And since it will be built on what is now Kapwa Gardens, there is a lot of excitement about incorporating public art designs that carry forward the community life and art that the garden has inspired. We really hope to have more time to be able to work with Supervisor Dorsey's office, especially to find a dedicated uh, source or sources of funding. We were also concerned about planning staff's recommendation to tap the public art trust as a source of funding. Um, This idea actually first came from Soma Filipinas. But when we reached out to the Arts Commission to learn more about the public art trust, we learned that the intent of the source of the trust is to ensure public art in the downtown C3 area and the current funds in the trust uh, should actually be prioritized, prioritized in Soma. So we are glad this has been retracted. If it were to go through not only Uh, would we lose public art uh, and affordable housing in soma and all low-income housing but soma would also lose out on public art intended to serve the community Um, this is especially hurtful given the state of downtown and soma and the need for revitalization and culturally relevant art as we advance an equity vision for downtown thank you
15: Good morning, Commissioners, Uh, Raquel Redondi is director of SOMA Pilipinas, And I hope you still remember last week's presentation and public comment from myself and colleagues of the Equity Council on our vision for downtown that centers equity and meaningful inclusion and participation of immigrant low income and people of color communities in the revisioning of our downtown. As I mentioned last week, there is a lot of interest in utilizing art and culture and nightlife in remaking downtown. And I've recently heard of initiatives of making SOMA, an art, culture, entertainment district. Um, art and culture are actually not new features of our neighborhood, as Soma Pilipinas is founding, founded on a thriving Filipino cultural art scene of film, music, dance, and theater, with legacy arts groups like Kearney Street Workshop, Cool Arts, and Middle Studio. But we remain largely invisible as a community because we've lacked real estate, public art, and to this day, we do not have a visible and permanent cultural marker like Chinatown's Gateway, Japantown's Peace Pagoda, or Little Saigon Pillars. How this is related to this item is our concern around the Planning Department's recommendation to tap the Public Art Trust as an alternative source of funding. Um, We're glad that that's been retracted, um, but I do wanna underscore um, the importance of the Public Art Trust as a potential source that we were looking at um so one we found that the funding is really intended for c3 zone and to ensure that we don't have a bleak downtown with no art or life that the public art should be in the c3 soma area within half a mile from the project feeing out um, as madison mentioned and that there are current under and um, last but not least that there are current undesignated funds that can and should be used for public art in the cultural district in the Cultural District, especially for the Soma Pilipinas Gateway, which has now been stalled for a year. Last month, Supervisor Dorsey introduced a resolution urging the Arts Commission to partner with Soma Pilipinas to complete the design and development of the Gateway as part of the Civic Arts Collection, um, prioritizing funding from the, the Public Arts Trust. This is in line with our CHESS Report and the Arts Commission recently completed Monuments Report, which calls for more culturally relevant monuments. Um, As Madison mentioned, the Arts Commission has the largest collection of public art in District 6, although not one in the whole collection reflects the rich Filipino history in San Francisco. In fact, the only monument in the city's collection, the Dewey Monument, celebrates the U.S. colonization of our people. Uh, We're glad that the Planning Department have rescinded the recommendation, and we really hope that the Planning Commission would join Supervisor Dorsey in advocating for the Public Art Trust Fund to support our gateway. Thank you.
0: Last call for public comment. Seeing no additional requests to speak, commissioners, public comment, and this matter is closed, and this matter is now before you.
1: Great, thank you. Uh, thank you to uh, Supervisor Dorsey for sponsoring the legislation and being here today. Uh, Ms. Tam, we appreciate your comments, um, and thank you, staff, and thank you to all those who came in and commented. Um, I would say I'm in support of the legislation and in support of staff modifications three, four, five, and it sounds like number one, uh, generally, there's support, but there's specific language of that is being hammered out. So I would add my support to continue to uh, figure that out and to incorporate that. Um, you know, I'm certainly sympathetic to, um, you know, wanting to have art in the way that our 1% for the art uh, program has really added to the richness of housing across San Francisco and even other buildings that are not necessarily um, housing buildings. Um, and so I think there's a really good core of that. I do think that this does give uh, housing developers a flexibility it doesn't prohibit them from having art it just means that it wouldn't necessarily be restricted in terms of the amount of money that needs to be spent on the art pieces in um, the process because i understand that this art that is currently part of one percent of the art goes through a special process and procedure um, it, with the arts commission i believe um, and so there's some other kind of uh, not necessarily bureaucratic but some participation and some restrictions so certainly i would hope that our affordable housing developers would continue to incorporate art, to commission art, to have culturally relevant art. Um, And I think based on my relationships and understanding how they operate, I don't really have concerns uh, for most of our affordable housing developers that that would be a challenge or something that they would not want to do. Um, And certainly they don't want drab, dreary, unfriendly um, buildings. They want their residents to really love and to appreciate where they live as well. So I think that we can still have art, but maybe we don't necessarily have to require it in this way. And certainly would look forward to finding additional sources, perhaps even working with the art commission to understand where opportunities that there might be to either consistently um, have source of funding for art, as well as taking advantage of other opportunities that may come up from time to time that could help to integrate art into our affordable housing development. So I would be supportive of a motion to um, approve the legislation. Commissioner Imperial. So moved. Second.
18: Is that with or without?
1: With the staff recommendations one, three, four, and five. Commissioner Imperial.
5: Oh yeah, thank Sorry. you. Um, thank you for the comments, and um, President Tanner. Um, I mean, this legislation for me at first I did. Um, you know, share the concern as with community organization as well in terms of the removal of requirement. I mean, the requirement actually brings a, affordable housing developers and also the community and really work together, even if it's like, in of course, there is this same vision to have affordable housing, but at the same time interact with the residents and the community-based organizations. Um, so at first, I mean, that was kind of like, um, I see, even though it's 1% requirement and perhaps it added cost to the building of affordable housing, um, the, you know, the work that it, it, it impacts in the community stands in a long time, in a long term and the stories behind that. Um, and so in terms of like, um, you know, what um, I resonate with what Chuchu, um, you know, comment in terms of like trying to identify the source of funding, the dedicated source of funding. Has the supervisor um, start brainstorming on this in terms of where will be the possible source of funding will come from?
16: Yeah, so um, we definitely have started that conversation. That's what led to uh, recommendation to um, like I said, we no longer support that recommendation, but that's where our mm-hmm. thinking was going. So we'll continue to be brainstorming that, just not using the public arts trust fund
5: and that will and that will be in terms of um, having conversation with the art commission um, in this issue. Yes. Um, And I, I, thank you. And I also would have questions about, um, you know, because the Public Art Trust Fund is, you know, knowing it, that it only applies for downtown. um, I'm wondering if for the planning department for us about the central Soma projects that actually would also contribute to the impact um, when it comes to the art, um, you know, the impact fees. So, um, um, Director Hillis, do you have any update about central Soma projects? such as, you know, the Flower Mart, if there are, you know, what are happening in terms of those central Soma projects sure. as well? And I think
4: that's the mm-hmm. issue we're running into with, with trying to implement what, what Raquel talked about it in the mm-hmm. Soma Pilipinas Cultural District was th- they were relying on potential, on funding from Kilroy's project, the Flower Mart project in central Soma to fund mm-hmm. the, the gateway. And so, as you know, office projects aren't moving forward. That project is not likely to move forward anytime soon. So that funding not available for this project. So we're looking for other potential sources. We were looking at the, at the trust fund as a potential source. But I think this all highlights you know, the, the bigger problem that there's not a ton of funding for arts projects. We rely on either unfunded mandates to require uh-huh. like affordable housing projects to use really what's in essence housing money to fund art or through other sources like you know a, a fee on office projects like the, the Central Soma projects so it just speaks to that bigger issue of funding for for art projects but we do think um, you know, it's part of our housing element or our work program is to work with the cultural districts on their implementing their plans. This was certainly a, a, a major part of Salma's plan was to initiate and build this cultural marker in artwork, And so we're working with them to, to figure that out, but without the Kilroy funds, that gets more and more difficult. And we've got to look to places like that. Yeah, i wondering trust um, art fund. whether
5: the planning department should also be part of those conversations because you know, just sitting on the, the head of the planning commissioner in terms of the cultural districts and the impact of affordable housing, especially in District 6. There's a lot of um, affordable housing in that area um, and perhaps more um, in other areas as well where there are going to be cultural districts as to how they're going to tap in. Um, and yeah. we I, certainly yeah.
4: believe prioritizing the projects that are that are coming from the cultural districts you know, is, is important and critical. So we've been working closely with Soma Filipinas on that project and trying to identify resources.
5: But you know, what I'm seeing now is like, this is an intersection of different layers of stakeholders. Um, the affordable housing developers, cultural districts, the art commission, the planning department, yep. um, um, you know, again, this is. Um, I know the legislation is only for 100% affordable housing, but that housing can be interlaid in different aspects in, it, in itself. That I think it really needs to be a thoughtful, um, you know, conversation. really trying to identify again. You know, I have said this before in terms of the now that the ridges of impact fees. I mean, those impact fees actually really help in terms of the. What are you know kind of like the investments for the community and um, for now it is you know reduced for three years but um, but I'm hoping that the city will try to find a different source of funding even if it's just one percent minuscule um, if it means like thirty thousand fifty thousand I mean you know again I think we need to find that little way um, I, w- I would support f- um, the the motion on the th- one, three, four, five with also um, if the um, the motion um, will also be included in the findings that there needs to be a conversation between different departments, planning department art commission, committee stakeholders, and the cultural districts around this.
1: Thank you, Commissioner Imperial, the makers of the motion uh, amenable to having further conversation between departments and stakeholders? Sure. Great, Commissioner Moore.
3: I like a little bit of clarification on background. Normally, a single project does not trigger legislation that from district-specific now extends citywide. Uh, Mr. Starr, do you have any data by which uh, there is evidence that public housing projects which fall or affordable housing projects that fall under this particular legislation Show more impact on arts than than we're we'll seeing it everywhere else.
14: Okay. Um, so this is uh, the project in the case report on tenth is it tenth or eleventh? And mission <coughs> is unusual because it was a hundred um, percent affordable housing project uh, done to meet the uh, housing re- inclusionary housing requirement for another project. Most hundred percent affordable housing projects are have city funds or. Federal funds or something like that. So um, n- we don't see many projects like that. Um, and so I don't know if there's a lot of examples of that. And keep in mind, this only applies to downtown. When they extended the 1% for art project to other areas of the city, uh, they excluded housing from that. So for some reason, housing is included uh, in this 1% for art uh, in the downtown only and um, also 100% affordable housing. So we felt that, you know, with the limited funds for uh, 100% affordable housing, it was just an added burden. And this project shows a very good um, example of that. I'm not sure that Saul DeWitt is culturally uh, sensitive or appropriate. Um, you know, like our Mahatom, uh, he's not, he's I a may sort may of...
3: interrupt f- you for a second, I don't think you perhaps, uh, perhaps I didn't phrase my question uh, properly. Is there physical evidence that graffiti and vandalism are particularly targeting affordable housing projects, irrespective of who is financially responsible or has built them?
14: I mean, I think graffiti just affects most buildings in San Francisco. This particular one um, is an egregious case of that. Um, But I don't think that affordable housing projects are particularly prone to um, vandalism. I do think that they have a harder time Maintaining the art because of vandalism, because of ongoing maintenance costs. So the building that we're talking about, I believe, is an ownership building. So those people living in that building pay a monthly HOA fees, and now that money needs to go to paying the Saldivar Foundation uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to repaint that. Um, and so they're going to have to keep doing that in perpetuity.
3: Okay. Thank you for for that response. There's apparently no real evidence that particularly art and public housing projects are targeted for this. Um,
16: Commissioner Moore, I'll just add on to that and say that when we were researching like some other examples of on site art, this case was particularly egregious because on site art can take the take many different forms. Uh, And in this particular building, it's a, a street level mural. There's a project actually just a couple blocks down the road near the federal building that did their mural um, about as high off the uh, ground as the ceilings in this room are. So that's significantly less uh, vulnerable to vandalism because someone would have to be really trying to vandalize that versus something that's on the ground level, which, um, as Aaron said, any building in the city, regardless of if it's affordable housing or not, is susceptible to that.
3: Uh, I'm a strong believer for equity and access to art, irrespective of who lives in the building or near a building where it occurs. So just, let's just play this out for a moment, uh, because why wouldn't it be then possible to move mules uh, on affordable housing projects up to the second or third floor where that kind of vandalism wouldn't occur? Why wouldn't guidelines and specific recommended art pieces be more or less susceptible to vandalism and moved into those locations. I'm trying to create an equal playing field. uh, And my original question uh, was targeting, uh, using one project with an incidence of of graffiti uh, should not be basically throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And I'm at this moment not addressing reducing or eliminating the cost for public art in those buildings but what i would be personally more interested in to stick with the uh, major demand for uh, equity and art uh, for everybody is to find alternative funding sources Uh, and alternative funding sources could be that a portion of public art for market rate buildings just a fraction would go into some pot which then would be used to the rare incidences that we are building 100% affordable housing. Uh, I like to use a different kind of logic of how to uh, uh, approach a really significantly important question that is equity. I do not believe that all of a sudden uh, eliminating art, uh, I think it sends a wrong message. Mm -hmm. And so I would like uh, the supervisor's office to consider of how to package this legislation slightly different, and that is basically using the general provision of what market rate buildings do, and we have quite a few of them, and we continue to basically approve the majority of them and building them, that they become ultimately the generalized so- source for a fraction of that contribution going towards the buildings that we're trying to eliminate art from. Great. I'll let that sit yeah. in the room.
5: Thank you. Yeah. Commissioner Perio. Yeah, I just like to chime in to what Vice President Moore is mentioning. Um, I it sounds like the issue itself is the um, and I think this is where I'm trying to figure out on how to sit on this as well, is like the dedicated source of funding versus the re- the requirement of removal. The legislation itself is about the requirement of removal. Um, I think and I think I'm sharing it now the same sentiment in a way that the requirement of removal should not be as a legislation, but in a way amending the code where looking for the source source of, um, of funding. So it's not about the removal or the requirement, it, there needs to have the requirement of art, but, that, but looking for a dedicated source of funding is my, is, seems to be the biggest issue here. Um, I think it
1: does. I think that maybe, Director Hill, so I think it's, it's both, right? It's both for it, future yeah. projects and for projects that have art that are experiencing right. vandalism. Yeah,
4: for both. right? But I want to be clear. Mm-hmm. You know, if you build an affordable housing project on Geary, it's not necessarily affected by 429. You're required to do mm-hmm. 2%. Art. and that doesn't come with any funding, but that doesn't come with any funding. You've gotta fund that, that's a mandate, you've gotta fund that through the affordable housing fund, right, and you've gotta make trade-offs on amenities, but you're required to do 2% art. A, a market rate project does not have that requirement. Downtown, it's a little different, where in the C3, this legislation, or this, this code section applies, everyone has that requirement. But again, it's public art, mm-hmm. right? So this has to be visible it's for the public, not necessarily for that building. And I'd say it is a, it's is—it's an unfunded mandate. There's a reason we're hearing from affordable housing developers that it costs too much to build a, an affordable unit, you know, of over a million dollars. It's not just this requirement. There's other requirements we have in the code too, which you'll, you'll hear about. So part of what we were charged to do is try to reduce the cost yeah. of affordable housing projects. It doesn't say you can't do art. If art is an amenity, that the project sponsor wants to put forward, whether it's public or not, it's in a courtyard or public, it doesn't preclude this. It would still come from that same, same funding source. It's just not a mandate by the city to to do it.
5: Yeah, I mean that's the. Um I think that's where I'm kind of sitting on is the requirement, like th- this legislation itself is about removing that mandate, but we're discussing about, okay, if the affordable housing developer has the option or is willing to do the public art, then they, they needs to have that source or of funding. Or there's funding, funding. yeah, yeah. yeah I But I think, um, you know, again, the, the legislation itself, is, So we're exempting the 100% affordable housing developers, um, and... You know, I think there needs to have, um, I mean, now I'm just sitting on this, like the number one doesn't, um, that's not something that I would support, um, but I would support three, four, five, you know, um, but number one and two is not something that I would yeah. support. So that's no, where number one, I just like, want to be clear, that's yeah.
4: making it kind of the market rate projects equivalent to mm-hmm. affordable projects, right? A project right. on mm-hmm. Geary that's affordable would be required to do 2%. Part, no, whereas a market rate project would have no requirement. So that's
3: not right.
4: okay. Thank you. So that's the, the one, that's the number one recommendation. Thanks. Commissioner Braun? Uh,
12: I really appreciate the very thoughtful conversation we're having that really comes down to trade offs uh, when funding sources are very limited for providing affordable housing. I, I do support the idea of continuing to work on finding uh, a means of providing an alternative funding source for public mm-hmm. art, including um, a source that could be tapped by affordable housing uh, development projects. But you know, my perspective on this is you know, if it's a 1% or 2% of the hard cost of construction requirement, that's very significant. And if I'm given the trade-off between that and getting more affordable housing units delivered, and especially uh thinking about you know the two percent requirement that might apply to 100 percent affordable housing projects which provide that deeper level of affordability um, that we're, we can't get through inclusionary requirements um you know it really stretches our our um, funding for affordable housing farther um you know I'm, I'm in support of uh reducing that cost it's also part of our housing element as well it's a you know it's a policy that's been adopted um, and then you know on the idea of i'm, I'm very Like I said, I I do hope that there can be a funding source for public art and there can be public art included in these projects. And I, uh, you know, but I also yet another trade off that I'm thinking about is by reducing the public art requirement cost for affordable housing development, maybe that gets translated into amenities for tenants on site that would have been sort of value engineered or stripped out of those projects in order to fund the public art. So I'm seeing a lot of trade-offs here. I do support the legislation and the recommendations in the motion right now, but like I said, I hope there can continue to be thoughtful dialogue about more resources for public art.
1: Great, thanks everyone for the good discussion. We have a motion that's been made and seconded.
0: Um, Just for clarity, are we including the finding as well? I'm sorry. The finding proposed by
18: Commissioner Imperial.
0: Yes. Very good, then, Commissioners. There is a motion that has been seconded to um, approve with modifications one, three, four, and five, including a finding that um, encourages further communication between departments and stakeholders. On that motion, Commissioner uh, excuse me, Commissioner Braun. Aye. Commissioner Diamond. Aye. Commissioner Imperial. No. Commissioner Copple. Aye. Commissioner Moore. Uh, Aye. Commission President Tanner. Aye. So move commissioners that motion passes five to one with Commissioner Imperial voting against. If Commissioner Ruiz could rejoin us and through the chair seeing that Supervisor Chan is now with us we will resume the normal order of the agenda uh, and take up item 15 next case number 2023-005567 PCA. For fleet charging locations and parcel delivery service planning code amendment.
19: Thank you, Commission Secretary. Good morning, Commissioners. Jenny DeLimo, Planning Department staff. The item before you is an ordinance that proposes to amend the fleet charging definition in the planning code to prohibit parcel delivery service as an accessory use. The ordinance is sponsored by Supervisor Chan, who's here today to present and share some remarks. With that, Supervisor Chan. Good morning. Thank you for being with us.
20: Good morning, Commissioners. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with before you today. I just want to first express my thank to Director Hillis and really uh, the planning staff, including uh, Ms. uh DeLomo behind us today for the work that we've been working on together, uh, that is before you today. Um, I just want to first if I may articulate my really overall policy goal uh, in what is before you today and probably subsequently very soon before you again, is really the goal about supporting small businesses and workers in San Francisco, and particularly around uh, parcel delivery services. And that means is when Individual order online, receiving delivery. That's really kind of the activities that we're thinking about how that impact our city's local economy. Um, and with that said, of course, you know I do not ever really do this work alone, and with many stakeholders uh, in conversation. That it brought to my attention that perhaps what we can really look at and evaluate the impact that it has on our small business, on our workers, but also our neighborhoods um, all across. And as you you know, for me, representing the Richmond, we have three uh, neighborhood commercial corridors, which is Gary, uh, Boboa, and Clements, which are very vibrant. Um, So to think about uh, parcel delivery services, particularly impacting the west side, but really citywide, and that we start to evaluate the possibility of fleet charging station that uh, may be conducted uh, with uh, parcel delivery uh, services and use, Uh, so that we've been working with uh, your staff, and they've been so helpful, and I'm just really grateful for the modification that is before you today as well. I am very in support of it. In fact, the language actually clarify, you know, sorting, loading, and reloading activities allow us to be able. TO BE VERY CLEAR, um, BUT TODAY I ALSO WANTED TO um, GIVE YOU A LITTLE BIT OF THE LANGUAGE THAT I WOULD LOVE FOR YOU TO CONSIDER THAT IS BROUGHT FORTH uh, BEFORE uh, BY our SOME OF OUR uh, uh, STAKEHOLDERS. NOT THAT I ask YOU TO ADOPT THAT TODAY, I JUST WANTED TO ARTICULATE um, POTENTIAL uh, FURTHER AMENDMENTS THAT FOR YOU TO KNOW THAT uh, FOR THIS DISCUSSION, uh, AND THE LANGUAGE WILL BE um, before you is to really discuss about the maintenance, operation safety checks, uh, or reconfiguration of electric motor vehicles or other uses is also prohibited at fleet charging station. Again, the overall goal about fleet charging station is that we want the future to move toward electric vehicles. We want us to get there, but all the other activities that are um, Uh, accessory to charging your electric vehicle that eventually somehow become a primary use. That's the concern that we're addressing today um, so I would love for your consideration and also for transparency and I don't want to blindside you when you potentially see me a month from now again <laughs> before you is that I am also working on legislation to be introduced uh, regulating um, parcel delivery service facilities uh, which then will require a conditional use currently before you uh, actually I should say before you uh, uh, was a uh, interim zoning control for parcel delivery services um, and facilities. And then what I am now moving toward is a citywide uh, permanent conditional use authorization. And this again would allow us us as the city, both the you yourself planning commission as well as the board of supervisors having a possibility to discuss how these type of uh, economy especially e-commerce impacting our local economy like small businesses and workers. So that's the context of the policy before you today and I and would be very grateful for your support and hope that you will have your uh, approval today uh, so that we can continue this conversation uh, at the full
1: board. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor, I appreciate your time.
19: Hey, Jenny DeLuma again. Thank you, Supervisor Chan, for being here to present today and collaborating with the Planning Department. Um, Again, this proposal is to amend the definition of fleet charging. The Planning Department is supportive of the goal to make it clear um, what uses are allowed on these project sites. Um, However, as Supervisor Chan mentioned, our recommendation is just to modify the language a little bit to clarify that a project may still locate a personal delivery service on the same side as a fleet charging um, use if they seek a separate approval and receive that approval for that use. Um, And then make any relevant amendments to the planning code to reflect this overall. So with that, um, we're here for any questions you may have. Thank you. If that concludes
0: staff presentation, we should open up public comment. Sorry, Commissioner
19: Diamond
7: has a comment. Just before we take public comment, Uh, Supervisor Chan raised the possibility of additional language that might be considered in the future and that means it wouldn't be back to us um, because we're having a discussion on it today which is the maintenance and data collection that I think was in the letter that we all received from Mark Gleason. I wonder if staff could let us know its view on that issue before we get to public comment.
19: Certainly. So the planning department staff feel that, you know, we understand the reason why the language is being proposed. Um, However, we don't think that it necessarily meets the goals, as we understand them, of the ordinance. Because, you know, if a project is coming in at fleet charging and they are proposing any sort of maintenance or related activity as an accessory use, it would be required to meet the criteria for conditional use as part of the overall consideration of that conditional use for the project so it would be under the same scrutiny either way before this Commission Um, in addition you know for projects that are currently principally permitted as Supervisor Chan pointed out there's pending legislation to make um, projects that are principally permitted in PDR districts also a CU so again that scrutiny around maintenance as an accessory use would be would be there through the CU process
0: With that, we should open up public comment, members of the public. This is your opportunity to address the commission on this item. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand
18: via WebEx. Good afternoon, commissioners, or good morning. Excuse me, I had my <laughs> clock wrong today, I guess in any way. Thank you uh, for hearing this item today. Uh, I'm Mark Gleason. I'm here uh, speaking on behalf of Teamsters. Joint Council 7 here in Northern California and our affiliate locals that represent thousands of uh, parcel delivery and logistics delivery workers here in San Francisco that make commerce uh, essential and important for all of us. The Teamsters are highly supportive of this item and worked closely with Supervisor Chan in its creation. Definition change is vital and we have heard from AV companies that they plan to use spaces they charge their fleets in to also run future package delivery services in attempt and in their attempt to bypass conditional youth use authorizations put on parcel delivery uses. We are very okay and appreciative of planning staff's request and the additional amendments that have been added. And we thank you for your consideration of our request to add more specific language to this amendment. Thank you.
21: Good morning, Commissioners. Peter Ziblatt, Land Use Council to Joint joint Council 7, the Teamsters Union. I just wanted to um, kind of reiterate uh, what Mark just said regarding the proposed legislation. Appreciate staff's tweaking of the language. We're in support of that modification. We think it makes it clear what activities can occur at a fleet charging location and what cannot. I THINK IT'S PROBABLY OBVIOUS TO PLANNING STAFF AND TO THE COMMISSIONERS WHO ARE EXPERTS IN THE NUANCE OF THE PLANNING CODE, BUT I DON'T THINK IT'S NECESSARILY SO CLEAR TO FLEET CHARGING APPLICANTS AND THE PUBLIC AT LARGE ABOUT WHAT ACTUALLY CAN OCCUR AT EACH OF THESE LOCATIONS. AND WHILE IT'S KIND OF OBVIOUS, YOU SAY, LOOK, YOU HAVE FLEET CHARGING, YOU'RE APPROVED FOR FLEET CHARGING, THAT'S ALL THAT CAN GO ON THERE, IT'S NOT SO CLEAR THAT THAT'S HOW THE APPLICANTS SEE IT. And so because of that we think it's imperative that the code be modified so it's clear exactly what can occur where and because fleet charging has been known to or as mark alluded to we understand that fleet charging and parcel delivery service uses tend to kind of have been considered melting into each other from a land use perspective we think it's important that that's uh very clear that they're discrete separate land use activities As regarding the proposed additional language today, I think that's an an additional add-on to make it very clear that automotive repair or maintenance or uh, activities also cannot occur at fleet charging locations because fleet charging locations is for fleet charging, period. And uh, I think, you know, in the past, the zoning administrators had to issue a letter of determination to an applicant on... Brandon Street, the cruise activity, uh, the cruise fleet charging locations to explain to them this exact issue, which is you cannot maintain uh, AV vehicles at a fleet charging location, you cannot take a download data from those vehicles, you cannot reconfigure those vehicles for other uses while they're fleet charging. And so we think it's imperative, it may be obvious that we're you know, adding additional um, caveats or requesting that the Planning Commission adopt additional caveats or modifications to the code to make it really clear. We think it's imperative because we don't necessarily believe that the applicants in this area, fleet charging, understand these restrictions. Thank you.
0: Okay. Last call for public comment. Seeing no additional request to speak, Commissioners, public comment is closed, and this matter is now before you.
1: Great. I just want to thank everyone for coming in. Thank you, Supervisor Chan, for being here in person um, to share this uh, legislation with us. I will just say I'm really glad that you brought it forward. Um, I think, I know myself, I always get confused when we talk about fleet charging. I think part is because the word fleet charging is meant to be specific to one type of use, but just colloquially it could it's confusing, right? Like, could just be charging your fleet? But it's like, no, it's for AV fleets that only come and go. So I think this legislation and um, the trailing piece go a long way towards helping to clarify both for the public, for us, for applicants, for... Folks who are trying to figure out what to do what they can do and hopefully we have some handy uh, publications that the department can publish that can help folks know how to both electrify their fleet and charge if they already have a parking lot um, but to separate out the distinct types of ways we're thinking about charging vehicles of different kinds um, so i think this goes a long way towards providing a lot of clarity um, so thank you uh, for that i won't comment uh, too much on the additional language just again to say i think if we can continue to create clarity of what can occur where and then the types of permits that can or cannot be, might be needed um, to accomplish all of the uses and different activities that go along with some type of business operation, I think that will again help folks to understand what they can do and where they can do it. Uh, With that, I will call on Commissioner Koppel.
0: Uh, Thanks Supervisor for showing up today and I do want to also acknowledge the letter uh, we received from Mr. Gleason, Uh, I think just the, just to simplify i think the cleanest way to maybe do this is um i'm going to make a motion to approve with the addition of the the planning's recommendations Uh, but i did want to recognize the the letter from mr gleason and also acknowledge that and say i I would be in support of that and just want to put that on the record so the supervisor has a room later on to make any other changes they see fit um, due to this industry being a little um little difficult
12: <laughs> potentially but we're we're still seeing it evolve so that's just the the simplest way I think we could go
0: about it right now and I want to make a motion to approve with the uh, planning's recommendations. Second. If there's nothing further commissioners there is a motion that has been seconded to approve with staff recommendations on that motion commissioner Ruiz uh, Braun. Aye. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, this thing. Got, up. Commissioner coffee. Braun, aye. <laughs> aye. Commissioner Ruiz, aye. Commissioner Diamond, aye. Commissioner aye. Imperial, aye. Commissioner Capel, aye. Commissioner Moore, aye. And Commissioner President Tanner, aye. So move. Commissioners' that motion passes unanimously, seven to zero, and we'll place us on item sixteen, for case number twenty twenty two hyphen zero zero eight seven eight four CUA, at two forty eight Valley Street, conditional use authorization.
6: good morning president tanner and commissioners kimberly durande planning department staff you have before you a request for conditional use authorization for the tantamount to demolition of the existing one-story over basement single-family dwelling with a detached garage and the construction of a four-story building with two dwelling units a two-car garage and two class one bicycle parking spaces in order for the project to proceed the Commission must grant conditional use authorization pursuant to Planning Code Section 317 and the construction of two new dwelling units, each with a gross floor area in excess of 3,000 gross square feet within the Central Neighborhood's Large Residence Special Use District, pursuant to Planning Code Section 249.92. The project is exempt from the California Environmental Quality Act as a class one and class three categorical exemptions. In addition to the one email in opposition noted in your packet, since the publication of the staff report, the department has received six additional emails and one phone call expressing concerns and objections to the scale of the proposed building. All opponents cite the demolition, uh, concern about the demolition of the existing building, access to sunlight, shadows that will be cast by the project, reduced privacy due to the decks, and the size of the proposed units. This morning, the department received 21 letters of support for the project from the property owner. The department reviewed the project for compliance with the residential design guidelines and found that the prevailing scale of existing buildings on the block are two to three stories, with some buildings having a fourth-story setback. The proposed project maintains the three-story scale with the fourth floor setback 15 feet. The building design is further modulated by a recess at the third floor, which also breaks the scale of the building. At the rear, the floors above the ground level of the proposed building generally align with the primary rear walls of the adjacent buildings. The department has determined that the proposed project meets these residential design guidelines. Some other issues in consideration is that the property is currently occupied by friends of the property owner. Our recommendation is for approval. The department finds that the project is on balance, consistent with the objectives and policies of the general plan. The project proposes a tantamount to demolition and construction of a four-story, approximately 7,980-square-foot building, which will result in two family-sized units and a net new legal dwelling unit. The project conforms to the residential design guidelines, is appropriate in terms of its material scale, proportion and massing for the surrounding neighborhood. The increased building scale is also appropriate for the subject block street frontage and is comparable to other multi-unit flats on the building. Furthermore, the project is code compliant and per code maximizes the dwelling unit density for the RH2 zoning district. The department finds the project to be necessary, desirable, and compatible with the surrounding neighborhood and not to be detrimental to persons or adjacent properties in the vicinity. Thank you, commissioners. That concludes my presentation.
0: Uh, we should hear from the project sponsor. You have five minutes.
2: Uh, thank you, commission. Uh, my name is Ryan Knock. I'm the project sponsor and also project architect. Um, I do have some supplemental information here including the letters that were mentioned by Kimberly um, and some additional illustrations and area calculations. Uh, There are ten copies here. Um, So thank you Kimberly and planning staff for um, the presentation. there's a few things I want to kind of focus on here about this, this parcel. Um, one is the unique size of this parcel. Um, the the typical Noe Valley lot is, you know, 25 to 28 feet by hundred to 114 feet. Um, this is a very large parcel. Uh, it's 38 feet wide and it is 114 feet deep. Um, that's about a four 4,300 square foot parcel. Um, whereas your average parcel size in Noe Valley would be someplace from 2,500 to 2,800 square feet. Um, that being said, in terms of the 317 request, um, the existing building is in great shape, but it just is not developable from a, an addition standpoint. Um, the setbacks along, especially the east side and along the front, they're just too great. Um, rather than trying to waste planning staff time and going through a bunch of demo calcs that would not work, We just chose to present this as a tantamount to demo and keeping one existing wall uh, along the existing light. Well, Um, so that being said, um, you know, this is a larger than average parcel. So I do think this can fit, you know, substantial um, single family homes on the on the parcel. Um, The second thing I'd like to note is, um, you know, one of the reasons the the commission was given up to 4000 square feet for the square footage was to account for. THE KIND OF EXTRAS THAT A SINGLE FAMILY HOME NEEDS. Um, WHAT IS BEING BUILT AND SOLD HERE um, ARE NOT 4,000 SQUARE FOOT STRUCTURES. IN ORDER TO FIT TWO CAR PARKING INTO THE PROPERTY, ONE PER UNIT, THE GARAGE HAS TO BE DEEPER THAN AVERAGE. IT CREATES A MUCH LARGER GARAGE. THERE'S A STAIRCASE THAT HAS TO GET YOU UP FROM THE GROUND FLOOR UP TWO LEVELS TO THE NEXT. THAT'S ALSO AN ADDITIONAL AREA THAT IS NEEDED. AND FINALLY, um, FOR A building of this height, we need an elevator shaft. And so if you really look at this, all those areas add up to about 1500 square feet extra. And the actual unit size that would be sold would be an average of 3250 for this parcel. Um, And the final thing I'd like to kind of focus on is just the character of the building and what we have done to work this with the planning department and make it as contextual and fit in as much as possible. Um, As I mentioned, we worked very much on the front to make it read like a three-story building. So the fourth story has been set back. Um, Also along the back of the property, it does step down on every level. Um, Finally, we have created an open air breezeway along the entire west side of the property. um, And we have created a continuous light well that's similar to the breezeway, but it's only along a portion of the other property. Um, The reason being there is that the other adjacent property is um, already four stories tall and there's no windows there. So we have set this building back um, substantially from where we would legally be allowed to build in order for the context for the adjacent properties. Um, the, the one to the west is probably the smallest one on the block. Um, if you really look at this in context and scale with the other buildings, it is in context and scale with the other buildings. It's There's three to four stories, four stories down here, um, three stories over here. The only one that's really short IS THE ADJACENT ONE AND AS I I MENTIONED WE'VE PROVIDED A CONTINUOUS LIGHT WELL ALONG THE WHOLE SIDE OF THAT PROPERTY IN ORDER TO ACCOMMODATE FOR THEIR their CONCERNS ABOUT LIGHT AND AIR TO THEIR PROPERTY Um, AND FINALLY WHAT I WOULD ALSO LIKE TO MENTION IS THAT um, AS PART OF THE PROJECT WE ARE REMOVING THE EXISTING NONCONFORMING STRUCTURE IN THE BACKYARD uh, WHICH IS A GARAGE SO WE'RE REALLY TRYING TO WORK WITH CREATING THE MID-BLOCK OPEN SPACE AND MAKING IT KIND OF MORE OPEN AND ALL TOGETHER AS ONE Thank you.
0: Okay, if that concludes sponsor's presentation, we should take public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on this item. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx.
9: Good morning, Georgia Shudish. Uh, when I wrote the letter in September, I saw this on the advance calendar, and my main concern was I didn't really. Think of what I wrote as an opposition. I thought of it more as commentary, but that's fine. It's I guess it is opposition. But my main concern was that because I felt this was a spec project, that I felt that the commission should have a condition that is they're informed if the thing is sold, the entitlement sold. Because there's been several projects that you've approved, multi-unit, not as large as this, where the entitlement's been sold. So I know that's you don't want to do maybe you don't want to do a one-off, but it's something to think about. It's information that I think you need, and um, you know I just think that's important. Oh, my timing didn't start, Miss Ionan. Okay, so you know, I, I'll just talk Thank till you, Ms. I'll talk Sheesh. till noon. I, <laughs> we're fully aware. Okay, okay, so. Um, so, like I said, I think it's a spec project. It's really large, even if it's not 3,900 square feet per unit. It's a large building. And I want to show you a photo, if I may, on the overhead, please. That's from the Google Earth. I think that really illustrates the context of the street. Um, it's a lot of older buildings. There's the subject property. This thing next door is two units. There's two units there. Typical, you can see going up the block, you know. This thing does have a a pent room on it, but it looks like it was original. So that's the, to me, that's the context. It's a very, and across the street is St. Paul's, the rectory and all that. Um, So it's it's a very low key block. This is a large lot. There's a lot of fenestration on this building. That fenestration is, is vastly different than the fenestration of these buildings on this street. Um, I had a couple other things I wanted to say. I guess I won't talk about the Tanamount demolition because I'm really puzzled as to why they're, they're keeping the one little piece of the wall. But there's no permit for a demolition. So it's not a demolition under DBI. It's just a demolition by Section 317. So that's sort of just interesting tidbit. Um, I guess the other question is, does this project meet the intent of the large residence, SUD? Is that they want two large major units like this in the SUD. And um, according to the PIM, the original, the existing house is only 1,400 square feet. Um, You did get extra letters. I don't know what the letters support were, but there are neighbors on the street who are apparently concerned. Um, And it will be expensive housing when it's done, if it's done. There was no doubt about it. So I guess that those are my comments, but I do think that it is somewhat out of character for the block. Maybe that's subjective. I think it's subjective based on the photo that I've seen. And I guess that's it. Oh, and the uh, value of the permit uh, is, uh, for this remodel is uh, $660,000, which when I first started talking about these demolitions in Noe Valley 10 years ago, that was the thing that caught my attention was the low value for these projects that were really demolitions, but they said they were alterations. I felt like the city was getting cheated out of money, and maybe they still are, but maybe they aren't. That's all, thank you very much.
0: Okay, seeing no additional members of the public in the chambers coming forward, let's go to our remote callers.
22: Hi, Uh, my name is Gary Levenberg, I live at 270 Valley Street, so we're just down a few doors from this from this project. Uh, our home is, you know, a larger home on the block, and it's 2,500 square feet, but we're on a single 25-foot-wide lot. This proposal is for two homes, uh, almost twice the size of mine, on a lot that's only 50% bigger. It certainly seems out of scale from my point of view. There's no other home in this whole area This, I think the biggest is maybe 3,000 square feet. So this home would be significantly larger than anything here and it's squeezed into a smaller area. Uh, It just doesn't seem in keeping with the scale and the idea for the community to get more families or people living here, especially in an affordable fashion. Uh, As this has been brought up, this does seem like kind of a spec house as opposed to somebody trying to take over this home and move in, and, and whether they build one or more units, these just seem a little uh, almost obscene for the size and the character of this neighborhood. And I, and I think the scale is, while the uh, planners or while the people proposing this are sort of suggesting it fits, it just doesn't seem to fit at all. And it certainly is gonna have a big impact on the immediate neighbors and the people behind. Um, I'm just calling because I, you know, lived on this street for, geez, 30 years. My kids grew up here, my kids still live in the city. We're all for, we, we need more homes, we need more families living here, we're behind that 100%. I don't understand how this particular project really is helping helping our neighborhood or the community to really fulfill those, those needs. Um, that's really all I have to say. Thank you.
23: Members of the Commission, thank you for uh, having me in attendance today. My name is Michael Pollack. I live at 254 Valley Street, which is the house immediately adjacent to the west of the proposed development. Um, I'd like to say, first and foremost, I am strongly in favor of the continued development of affordable housing, new housing, and generally progressive policies we have here in San Francisco. I think we desperately need more housing here in the city as well as probably in the state of California. My issue with the home as it's excuse me, the project as it's currently proposed is really about structurally how it's designed, the size, uh, the impact it will have both on light, um, my backyard space, privacy in the neighborhood, and, and my belief that as currently designed, this house simply is or this project is simply greater than the space that really is meant for there as Gary alluded to previously. This neighborhood is predominantly composed of one to three-story residential homes, and this building is far out of character that and I, I fundamentally believe will impact negatively um, both light, um, air, quality, privacy, a number of things directly, for homes directly adjacent to my own, as well as others up and down the street. I would implore the Commission today to reject this um, plan and, and give us time to continue to work with the developer who's been incredibly reasonable and so far has been uh, wonderful about working through some of these issues my ask today here is that we um we pause where we are to give us sufficient time so that we can continue to work with the developer to identify a solution here that is um, a win for the entire neighborhood, a win for San Francisco because it produces net positive more housing, but fundamentally is not rushed forward in a way that leaves uh, neighbors uh, unduly served by this development as it's currently designed. Um, and my hope would be that the Commission today will hear this and take action that will give us the chance to continue to build, again, net positive more housing, which we desperately need, and housing that will be beneficial for the neighborhood and the city. Thank you.
0: Okay, last call for public comment. Again, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star 3 or raise your hand via WebEx. Was that the same caller? No. Okay. Very good. With that, commissioners, public comment is closed, and this matter is now before you. Thank you. I uh,
1: appreciate the architect's explanation of some of the context for the block and for how this kind of home is got some additional kind of common space um, and some uninhabitable space included in it. I'm happy to see uh, one home become two homes uh, in this lot and would be supportive of the project. Commissioner Braun?
12: Yes. Um, you know, I, I'm on this block several times a week, I'd say, and I think on the whole, this is a a pretty impressive project and much more sensitively designed to the context of the block and the neighboring properties than many other projects that we have to grapple with on the Planning Commission I really appreciate the the parity in the unit sizes um, that are in this building getting the extra unit uh, I am appreciative of the uh, upper floor side setback the light wells conforming to the neighboring property to the east the side setback on in the west um, very respectful window placement overall and uh, you know I think the only downside the only thing I would Wish it wasn't here. It was maybe an accessory dwelling unit, maybe a little bit of a different, you know, pedestrian ground level facade. But besides that, and since a lot of it's a garage door, um, that's not uncommon in this area. So besides that, um, I am in support of
0: this project, and
12: I move to approve.
1: Second.
0: If there's nothing further, commissioners, there is a motion that has been seconded to approve with conditions on that motion, Commissioner Braun. Aye. Commissioner Ruiz. Aye. Commissioner Diamond. Aye. Commissioner Imperial. Aye. Commissioner Koppel. Aye. Commissioner Moore. Aye. And Commission President Tanner. Aye. So move, Commissioners. That motion passes unanimously 7 to 0 and places us on the last item on your agenda today, number 17, case number 2022, 006461 CUA at 56 Conrad Street, a conditional use authorization.
24: Good morning, President Tanner, Commissioners, uh, Gabriella Pinto of Department staff. The case before you is a request for conditional use authorization pursuant to planning code sections 249.92 and 303 for a vertical and horizontal addition to an existing two-story or basement single-family residency that would result in a dwelling unit exceeding over 3,000 square feet in size and and an FAR over 1.2 within the RH1 zoning district, the central neighborhood's large residency special use district, and 40X height and bulk district. The addition will be approximately 1,590 square feet in size, and as part of the proposal, mixture uh, alterations to the front and rear facades are proposed, including the construction of roof decks. The project site is an approximately 2,525 square foot lot located on the west side of Conrad between Arbor and Diamond Streets within the Glen Park neighborhood. Developed in 1962, the residency is not considered historic, a class C Persequa, and is occupied by the current property owner. The immediate neighborhood includes two to three-story residential developments, including single family residencies. The item before you is required pursuant to planning code section 249.92 for a proposal that would result in a dwelling unit over 3,000 square feet and an FAR over 1.2. Prior to the submittal of a listed application, the project sponsors did conduct a pre-application meeting on June, 6th, June 29th, 2022, and no public members attended. The department and the commission has received one correspondence with regard to the project since the publication of the packet. As correctly stated by the public member, the proposal is under the tantamount of demolition thresholds pursuant to planning code section 317. However, given the demolition calculations as proposed, the department will issue a letter to the project sponsor and Department of Building Inspection uh, prior to the approval um, to the associated building permit application that will explicitly outline procedures and steps to be taken throughout the remaining review and approval process and during the construction. In conclusion, the department recommends approval and, uh, with the conditions and believes the project is necessary and desirable for the following reasons. The department finds that the project is on balance and consistent with the objectives and, san- and policies of the general plan and meets all applicable planning code requirements. Uh, the project will maintain an existing single family residency, um, a use that's compatible with the RH1 zoning district um, and expand a building, the subject building in a manner that is appropriate with the size, density and height and architectural characteristics of the neighborhood. This concludes staff's presentation. I'm available for questions, and the project sponsor does have a presentation for you all. Thanks.
0: Thank you, project sponsor. You have five minutes. Well,
2: thank you. Uh, Ryan Ock, again, I'm project sponsor and project architect for um, the project. Um, I do have some supplemental information here for the commission. Okay, thank you. Um, thanks, Gabriella, for um, the presentation. Um, A few things I wanted to point out about this property and this block in particular. Um, This side of Conrad Street um, is... Sorry, um, this co- side of Conrad Street is is composed of, um, you know, medium to large size single family residences. Um, you know, I think the main thing to think about in, in terms of this project size and scope and the, and the request for the CUA is, um, you know, how large is it? Is it compared to its neighbors? Um, so if you look at the two adjacent properties and include uh, the square footage from the assessor's office and, and also add in the garage, which is not included in the assessor's office. Um, THIS PROJECT IS THE AVERAGE OF THE TWO ADJACENT PROPERTIES. Um, THE ONE TO THE SIDE IS ABOUT 4,500 SQUARE FEET. THE OTHER SIDE IS APPROXIMATELY 3,000 SQUARE FEET. AND SO um, THE REASON FOR THE CUA HERE IS uh, this: THE PROPERTY IS INCREDIBLY STEEP. If you go to THE LAST PAGE IT SHOWS AN ILLUSTRATION. Um, THE PROPERTY IS NEARLY 20 FEET HIGHER ALONG THE BACK um edge so the back building line um this doesn't really yield itself very well to creating living spaces or family spaces or anything like that um, the only way to really capture that on this lot is to go vertically and add, and add a level um, you know there's certain sort of uh, criteria and you know uh, price points in terms of how much square footage does it really you know makes sense to build once you get up here Um, we've really worked hard with the residential design team on the facade, um, how to, you know, have some glass towards the view, but also create some more solid railings. Uh, the, the top floor is set back from the facade 10 feet, uh, which is a similar distance to the neighboring property. Um, and you know, if you, once again, if you start to take out the garage space and other, other spaces such as that, I understand that's not the intent of the code, but if the owner were to sell this parcel, it would be sold as about a 3,300 square foot. Um, you know, residence not a thirty-seven hundred square foot residence, um, and I think finally is just, um, you know, just the the basically overall context and the way that the the house works with the the block. It's kind of a mixed block. There's different levels. Um, again, basically, the, it's a three-story building with a setback along along the very top floor, um, just to make it less impactful on the block. like that so it just you know there's there's a deck along the front that's set back from the facade it's minimally visible um the glazing along along the front has been reduced by some of these railings um you know there there might be some temptation to request the property owner here to add an adu um i would i would just say that i would advise against that because the the owner really needs some flexibility here in order to increase the bedroom count um as needed you know based on his growing family so there's there's two bedrooms along the, the top floor right now that each have a bathroom that have um, nice windows and nice light to them, which is of course great. Um, The main floor has a nice living room with a couple of extra spaces that need to be used for work from home or craft rooms or flex rooms. Um, And then the ground floor right now has a bedroom plus a den, and of course that den would, um, you know, be the spot that would be converted to a future bedroom. Um, Thanks for your time, bye.
0: Okay, we should take public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the Commission. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star 3.
9: Good afternoon, Um, Georgia Shudish. Uh, I just appreciate Gabriella mentioning that it's going to have one of those warning letters, because I didn't see that in the staff report, and I think that's very important for, 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 for the public and project sponsors going forward. Uh, I'll just say two more little comments. Uh, I don't think this is a spec project, but that's just my personal opinion. Um, I hope it isn't anyway. Um, And there's there's a sort of confusing on the matrix for the B1, which is the lineal foundation for the front and rear. It says vertical element calc. I just saw that this morning, and that's really for C1. So just so when it gets to DBI, there's no confusion with DBI. And my last comment is, this, this permit seems reasonably valued at also at $660,000 uh, based on what was, uh, so maybe that's DBI's problem, not your problem, but thank you very much.
0: Okay, last call for public comment. Seeing no additional requests to speak, Commissioner's public comment is closed, and this matter is now before you.
3: Thank you. I'll be supporting this project today. Commissioner Moore? Uh, I support the project. I just have a co- couple of questions, I'm going to do back to him. Uh, to Ms. Wadi who has been helpful on that particular subject matter before. Um, the uh, applicant was comparing adjoining sizes of buildings that normally does not enter into the discussion as a passage to approval. But we're having a um, central neighborhood residential special use district. Could you please go one more time through the exercise so that the architect knows that it's not about adjacent buildings and their size, but it's about that particular? Uh, legislation and how it is applied relative to the uh, planning department working with it.
25: Sure, happy to go over that a little bit more. And as you mentioned, um, within the Central Neighborhoods Large Residences, SUD, a big underlying principle is to ensure that new construction Um, Fits in with the neighborhood and that we're not seeing some of these smaller neighborhoods, you know We have very different blocks throughout this special use district some blocks have very small homes that are in the You know range of a thousand square feet or 1200 square feet And then we have other parts of the, the SUD that have much larger homes topography So a big part of the SUD is to really ensure that buildings that go in there both that there's an incentive to, to densify when possible, but another factor is really neighborhood compatibility um, and, and the sort of the contextualism. So one of the, the factors that we do look at when projects are subject to this is how does this building fit in relative to its immediate neighbors and the broader context? Um, and I think the architect did a great job highlighting the fact that this project um, really does sort of split the difference in size between its immediate two adjacent neighbors um, and is not out of uh, context, both with the massing and form of the building, but also the underlying square footage of the proposal.
3: And then when you exceed 3,000, which seems a hard number, the department gives itself leverage or interpretation that a minimal uh, percentage is acceptable.
1: Precisely, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Diamond?
7: Move to approve.
1: I'll second.
0: Thank you, commissioners. There's a motion that has been seconded to approve with conditions on that motion, Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Copple, Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner? Aye. So move, Commissioners, that motion passes unanimously 7 to 0 and concludes your early hearing today. And I thank you for making the accommodation.
1: Yes, thank you all for your efficiency and have a very happy Thanksgiving and we'll see you on November 30th. We're adjourned.